What's up, Rising Giants, and welcome back to this week's episode with your hosts, Max and Dom, chatting with the boldest and most inspiring entrepreneurs and investors in the highest potential markets of Southeast Asia. The journey begins in Cambodia. In this week's episode, we are interviewing Pablo Alonso Caprile. Pablo is the group CFO at iCare Benefits, the leading buy now, pay later firm in Cambodia and Laos, having served over 300,000 customers. iCare looks to play a critical role in addressing financial inclusion by offering low-income women factory workers an interest-free option to purchase consumer goods and improve their lives without the need of taking on shark loans or additional debt. We love this conversation as we dive into the essential role the buy now, pay later sector is playing in Southeast Asia, the speed of trust, why trust is the most essential ingredient in building a high-performance, successful organization, and Pablo's top business habit, why going out of your way to proactively replenish and expand your network is a necessity for any business leader. By the way, if you want the best five-minute morning update on what's going on in the startup and venture ecosystem in Southeast Asia, subscribe to our free newsletter linked in the show description. And now, back to Pablo. Well, great. So, Pablo, thank you so much for coming on Rising Giants. We really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, our first question we'd like to ask all our guests is talk us through how you got to where you are today. Yes, good morning, uh, Max and Dom. And uh, first of all, let me start by saying uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on, on the show. Um, to tell you a little bit more about, about my journey and how I got to, to, to where I am today. Um, so initially, I, I'm from the capital markets industry. So I was a uh, trading uh, derivatives, uh, mostly interest rates uh, in the city in London for, for many, many years. And during my time in London, uh, I was also collaborating with a local NGO here in Cambodia, um, also since the summer of 2003. So I knew the country well, and I had de developed a little network uh, in the private sector here in Cambodia. So through that network, uh, I got the opportunity to, to understand or learn a little bit more about iCare benefits that at that time, we're still in its, in its kind of uh, infant steps. Um, so, so my wife and I uh, came to Cambodia, saw the company, saw the work that they were doing. And it was not really a hard decision for us because again, we knew the country, we knew the culture um, and the, co the company was uh, needed uh, that, that added that added the value from, from a finance person to kind of take it to its it re regional expansion and, and, and progression of, it, of its business model. So, um, that is that is my journey from from London to 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 Cambodia in a nutshell. Great, thank you, thank you for that, Pablo. And, and what was it like arriving in Cambodia and comparing uh, the working and um, social culture to uh, living and working in London? Yeah, great question. Very obviously, very very different. Uh, you know, we're I was coming from a uh, kind of the markets, a very aggressive. Uh, very difficult atmosphere of work, um, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, outbursts of emotions in the markets. Uh, obviously, back in the day, it was less electronic. It was more voice trading. So um, coming to a country like Cambodia, where the culture is very respectful, very subdued, um, very tranquil, uh, one needs to adapt its, uh, his way of, of, of behavior in the, in the workplace and the way to interact with people and the work to conduct yourself in a, in a professional environment. So for me, it was a very big uh, transformation from, from working in the capital markets uh, to working in a, in a, in a private, private sector environment in a culture like Cambodia's where respect of each other um, and, and of the local culture is, is, is of paramount importance. Great, and, and upon like upon your first arrival in Cambodia, how did how did practice differ to reality? Um, well, first of all, I mean the first aspect of that was you know the, the NGO world is completely different to the private sector. In, you know, in Cambodia, they're, they're very separate worlds, very separate industries, obviously. Um, so I had been coming back and forth for on the you know working for an NGO, but working on, you know, on the, on the private sector and actually starting a business, make it completely different. Um, the, you know, uh, starting a business in Cambodia has its, you know, um, you know, I wish I knew some things back in the day that I didn't know today. Um, so, you know, it was, it was crucial to get good advice, uh, to get well surrounded, well mentored uh, by people that had done it here in the region before uh, to make sure that we weren't making um, you know, we may be making obvious mistakes that, that, can, that can come from, from, from being experienced and not knowing the market well or not knowing the legal and regulatory frameworks. Okay, great. And you mentioned um, 
one of your first entrepreneurial adventures was uh, Match Pint in London. And so was that, can you talk to me about some of your other entrepreneurial experience you had prior to uh, joining iCare or, and, and helping uh, grow out the iCare business? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship. Um, so I've always liked, you know, starting businesses, running businesses, developing products, investigating product market fit, you know, running MVTs, running MVPs. So I've always liked the concept. I've always tried to do it. Um, I've always been on the lookout for kind of new opportunities or new business ideas. So uh, kind of MatchFind was was the first company that uh, that I helped build uh, with, with some of my high school friends and university friends. You know, we, we saw it up in the market back in, in, in London um, where, you know, it was extreme. I mean, again, back in the day, it was extremely difficult uh, to find a place where you could find, you could see um, the, the football game or, or the cricket game. Um, obviously, all of us were high, in high school or university, so we didn't have, you know, the local, the local paying channels. Um, so we set up a, this technology platform where all the pubs and bars and restaurants could put up their schedule for games. And basically, you could go and see per game around you which restaurant and bars actually could where we're, we're showing the game. So, so we, we, came, we came up with this, we kind of grew the company, developed it, developed the technology behind it, and now it's, it's a very successful company. So uh, that was my first taste of entrepreneurship and, and, and building a business. And I kind of caught, you know, I caught a little bit of a fever and, and I really, you know, enjoyed the feeling of being on the edge, you know, building something, developing, uh, growing it, and then obviously then offloading it or selling it. So um, you know, kind of Matchpoint was my first dip into the water. And ever since I've been, I've been investing in, in, in startups, mostly on the tech side or the financial side, also some consumer goods side. Um, and, and I've all been, obviously iCare was just the continuation of that journey where I then took that step to, to, to grow the business myself and lead the business in its kind of, in its growth and its, and its expansion. Okay, great. Yeah, so you, yeah, you mentioned you're also an angel investor, and and so with your angel investment work, have you have you also focused on uh, making investments in in Cambodia in the region, or is it mostly still uh, European or uh, tech investments? Um, so I, a lot of my angel investments have been in Europe historically, uh, just obviously because the the legal framework is a lot stronger. So um, so I, it's easy for me to invest. Um, and, and get the paperwork done uh, even, even whilst being in, in Cambodia. Um, in Cambodia, yes, I've got, I have some, some local investments here, some ventures, um, both in the F&B industry and also in, um, in, uh, in kind of furniture and, and uh, antiquities. So, um, so yeah, so I'm, in Cambodia, I have a few, a few ventures as well locally uh, that, I'm, that I'm working on. Um, so yeah, uh, in both Cambodia and Europe, I'm still, I'm still investing. I'm still advising mentors. I'm still, sorry, I'm still mentoring businesses. I'm still advising uh, my, my investments and, and, and help them develop and grow. Could you also tell us about some of the mentors that have been important to you in, in your entrepreneurial journey? I mean, the first mentor I, I had was, was uh, my old boss um, at the bank when I was trading. Uh, his name was Jorge Mauto, a Spanish, Spanish gentleman. Uh, so he's the one that guided me through through um, kind of the trading ups and downs, uh, and advised me on um, on how to you know um, how to deal with how to deal with the issues that come across from trading, um, how to deal with the setbacks, how to lose how to deal with losing money on the markets, and um, always was there to advise me and help me um, develop as a trader. And and then more on the on the entrepreneurial side i mean the, the person that that straight away comes to mind is uh, Douglas Clayton so um, he's the founder and ceo of leper capital so the first the big first private equity fund that came to cambodia back in the 90s um, so he's he's been an advisor and a mentor of mine for for many many years uh, he's always been helping me um, in particular in the early days of icare with uh, the strategic direction um, you know product development product market fit um, network opening, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Douglas has been an invaluable help to me in, in, in not only my personal development, but also the, the, the development of, of, of iCare. That is a great segue into iCare. So could you tell the audience just a bit about um, the origins of the company and, uh, and how it's grown in, in recent years? 
Sure. So I can benefit uh, very simply, and I and I think everybody knows by now what uh, what 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 the what the platform is. So I care benefit is very simply a buy now pay later platform, specialized in low income women factory workers. So very early in the day, we spotted that uh, there was an opportunity to provide formerly employed women factory workers with access to a buy now pay later platform that would increase. Their, their, their disposable income by giving them 0% payments on, on retail products, right? So um, we, there, there was an obvious gap in the market where a person that has a full-time job, you know, still low income, but still a full-time job employed under a contract would not have access to consumer financing or MFI financing. So whenever they wanted to buy a fridge or a TV or a rice cooker or an aircon, they would have to go to the local pawn shop or to the to the black market or to shark loans to be able to buy that product. So we clearly saw that there was an opportunity for us to to give them access to that free financing to that buy now pay later because they were formerly employed. They had a full time job under contract. Um, so the idea gave us kind of the entry into the market, and obviously then we started realizing that we could get a lot a lot of scope uh, basically by working with the factories themselves so in cambodia or southeast asia in general uh, most of the the clusters of employment are going to be around industrial parks or special economic zones so there's going to be a lot of volume that we can do if we work inside those industrial parks or special economic zones so iker has been very successful in developing its business in those areas um, by accessing and working in those uh, in those uh, in those factory clusters, so we've been running since um, since 2015. And in Cambodia, for example, we have um, I think just over 70 factories uh, collaborating under the Iker Benefits by Now Pay Later program. What would you say is the major criteria in terms of determining? Um, the eye care benefits for the employees is it that they work for the factory or are there other criteria that would make the individuals um be available for um for the loan the basic concept of eye care benefit is that if you have a formal job under contract and you're receiving a monthly pay slip you should be able to access the buy now pay later services right because just because your salary happens to be low say around 150 dollars why should you not be able to use that that fixed salary to 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 make some installments right so that was the problem we we're trying to solve so for on, on a very generic basis as long as you are a formerly employed factory worker in cambodia or lao you're going to be able to access like your benefits mm -hmm. so that is that is the basic concept we're trying to we are bridging the gap between between basically between customers and the need for purchasing very basic items. So iCare breaks down its product offering under, in, in, in four categories. One is, is what we call comfortable living. So giving access to, to these low-income workers uh, to basic household products like phones, TVs, rice cookers, fans, bicycles, fridges, aircons, uh, mattresses, furniture, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the second one is what we call healthy living which is anything related to healthcare. So um, hygiene products, women hygiene products, medical devices, baby products, et cetera, et cetera. The third one is what we call smart living. So access to educational services, school materials, et cetera, et cetera. And the fourth one is what we call prosperous living. So that is access to more long-term financial services like cash loans, financial leases, motorbike, uh, house financing, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea is that I care evolves its product offering together with its customer journey so obviously when the customers have been with us for four or five or six years they have accumulated all, all these really basic items necessary for for their house for themselves and for their families so we then want to evolve with them and give them access to the motorbike or the car or the house etc etc so iker is kind of evolving together with with our with our customers to ensure that we always providing with what they need to have. How, how many customers have you managed to uh, serve in, in, in your time as a company? And what has been the 
the the general profile? IKEA Benefit uh, was operating in three countries, Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Uh, we sold our Vietnamese operation at the end of uh, 2019, right before COVID. So I'll give you the numbers for, for Cambodia and Laos. So in, in Cambodia and in Laos, we, we serve around 300,000 customers. Uh, all of them, or over 95% of them are factory workers. Uh, in Southeast Asia, it so happens that factory workers are mostly female, around 80, 70 to 80% of factory workers are female. So around 70 to 80% of our, of our customers are, are, are women. Um, they're going to be low income, so their salaries are going to be between $150 and $250 per month. Uh, and they're going to be, they the average age is between uh, 30 to 35. That's our kind of uh, customer profile. That's a business that very much would um, attract a lot of uh, attention from, you know, this new breed of investors that are focused around impact and um... absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, we uh, I care benefits is uh, is backed by uh, emerging markets investments, uh, which is, if not the largest one of the largest private equity funds in Cambodia. And the limited partners of uh, of emerging markets investments is uh, the big European DFIs, so, you know, Norfund, FinFund, KFW, Obvia and Bio. Um, so all of that, all of those big European uh, DFIs are, are obviously very interested in iCare and have been directly invested in iCare because of the impact that we're having on, 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 these, on these low income women workers, uh, because we are, really, we are really bridging the gap towards a sustainable financial inclusion, because there's a lot of discussion around how do we include more and more people into, into, you know, into the financial sector, but no one is actually creating sustainable solutions to take care of these low-income, formerly employed workers. And iCare is a solution to that. Is we are giving them the opportunity to access products that they would otherwise never have access to. It is impossible for a person earning $150 to buy a $300 fridge. There's no, they don't have the liquidity. So they need to go to the local pawn shop or they need to go to, the, to a shark loan. Uh, so iCare is that solution. And that's why we have been so successful in Southeast Asia, uh, growing our business and, and capturing more and more clients because we are bridging that gap towards real financial inclusion. Okay, yeah. And, and talking about uh, your growth in Southeast Asia, how, how have you seen the competition develop for these types of, um, products within the Mekong region and maybe just Southeast Asia more broadly. It seems like in Cambodia, um, you, you are very, very like a, a rare company that's, um, that's carved out a, a large market share, but I'd be interested to see how, you, how that applies regionally. Yeah, the buy now, pay later uh, industry really works as well. In, in parallel with your collection mechanism. So any buy now, pay later platform has to have strong collection mechanisms. And those collection mechanisms are going to be linked to the sophistication of the banking sector, the accessibility of debit cards and credit cards and accounts. Um, and so the BNPL sector in, in Southeast Asia obviously has been growing fast um, outside of the Mekong region. So in Indonesia, Malaysia, the Philippines, in Singapore, there's been a lot of movement around BNPL. Pace Holding just did a massive round uh, for the development of their services in Singapore. So BNPL is obviously, uh, it, it's the BNPL industry is an industry that makes sense uh, when a, a market is developed enough where most of the customers or the potential customers have access to credit cards or debit cards or have bank accounts. And the banking center, the bank, banking sector is integrated into one, uh, into one uh, platform, right? So where you're able to do direct debits or you're, each, you're able to issue debit cards. So in a country like Cambodia and Laos, and this is where, where ICA has been so successful, is that there's no credit cards, there's no debit cards, there's no bank accounts. So we need to make sure, or, or the, the BNPL company needs to make sure that it's adapting its collection mechanisms to the local market, to the low income workers. So most of the BNPL platforms in Southeast Asia actually target the urban population and the middle to, uh, to high income um, sectors of society. iCare is differentiating itself by targeting the low income and adapting its internal processes and collection mechanisms to make sure 
that we are uh, that we are still uh, pro being able to provide the solution to our to our customers, but also obviously also be sustainable as an enterprise. Okay, and. Uh, just just quickly touching on some of the um, struggles that you may have had as a company growing in Cambodia and Laos, I'd, I'd love to just hear a bit more about how you've um, maybe thought about adapting the, the business as you've um, as, as COVID has has come through the region and obviously very much impacted factory workers um, would be interested to just hear how you've approached that as a, as a company. Yeah, obviously, COVID has been a big impact uh, for for us. Obviously, not only us, but but globally, um, we've seen we've seen factories under under strain to to get orders, uh, not only to get orders, but also to get payment for the orders that had been completed. Um, so we've we, we've seen a lot of struggle in, in the factories. We've we've had we've had quite a few factories closing down and and the workers being out of out of work. Um, but I think that only pushes us. Or that has pushed us more to 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 evolve as a company and to make sure that we're adapting and we are pushing the company towards that next step towards that next um, that next growth stage where we can take it forward after COVID is done. So we kind of use the opportunity of the of the COVID downturn as 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 a way to move the company forward and expand our product offering to make sure that we are taking a bigger uh, spectrum of customers into our into our into our platform, um, and uh, and and that allows us to continue growing, continue developing, and continue progressing, even through a downturn like COVID. Um, so that because you know 2020 was a very difficult year for us. 2021 has also been quite difficult in Cambodia, but um, it has allowed us to spend more time in strategic uh, decision making around where can the company go from now until in, into the next two years how can we move the company towards that next stage to make sure we're keeping we're keeping up with with the times great and, and building on from that what, what are some of the milestones that you expect to achieve over the next few years um we expect to to continue operating and growing in Cambodia, uh, we expect to be able to open our, our buy now pay later services to the wider population. Uh, I think by by 2022, uh, we also want to expand to other countries regionally. Uh, so that's our that's our aim for the next two years. Continue to open uh, in other countries as well. We already have the technology platform. We have the know how. It's just a question of of uh, of going out and actually doing it. Um, so we expect things to we expect things to to be moving over the next couple of years, uh, you know, and 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 continue to develop our product offering into that that fourth product um, pillar that that I mentioned earlier, which is the prosperous living, so access to housing, finance, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as we move things forward, um, we expect to not only grow regionally but also grow our our portfolio of, of products. Great and. What other markets within the region would you say are most applicable, sorry, would have the most um, suitability to this kind of business? Yeah, great question. So uh, up to this year, uh, Myanmar was um, the country that we were most interested in because it has a very similar uh, industrial makeup than Cambodia and Laos. Uh, many factories, large factories, uh, lots of European brands sourcing from there. So it gets very interesting for us um, as a potential as a potential expansion. Um, Myanmar, we are still not, we haven't yet discarded it, but obviously with with all the the disturbances in the last in the last few months, um, it, it's taken a bit of a back burner. Uh, we see a lot of potential as well uh, in a country like Bangladesh, which also has very large factories, and and they continue to, uh, to 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 move to Bangladesh to to take advantage kind of of the, of the low salary uh, levels for, for factory workers. So Myanmar and Bangladesh were kind of the obvious countries that we were looking at. We're still looking at them, but obviously Myanmar has taken a little bit of a back burner because obviously of the disturbances over the last few months. Diving in a little bit to like how it's been for yourself running the business or well, being one of, within the leadership team on the business. Um, what, what's it been like building a company culture, building a, um, a core leadership team and and how have you have you approached that yeah great question um something that i learned very early on when i moved to cambodia 
uh, is that there's normally a way to solve an issue without being aggressive. So coming from the capital markets industry, um, you know, aggressiveness was kind of the norm. And I very quickly, I realized that in Cambodia, there is normally a way to solve things without, without being aggressive or without uh, putting uh, unnecessary pressure. So, so the way that, you know, I've been, I've been obviously not only evolving personally, but also evolving my team is to make sure that, uh, you know, my, my staff is, 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 you know, is well-trained, is nurtured. And, you know, I know when to push and to pull back and, you know, and that balance is key to make sure that the team is well-motivated, well-trained, well-nurtured. And so that we then know when we're able to push and we have to pull back because of, uh, of unnecessary pressure. So um, the, the main, the main, obviously one of the main issues in Cambodia has been hiring. Um, the, sometimes the, it's difficult to find the, the right, the right set of skills in, in, in the, uh, in the in the kind of uh, in the pool of, of available workers available uh, available candidates so um, we I have found that the best way to do that is to is to focus more on the individual rather than the actual technological set of skills and then train them and nurture them to ensure that they stay with you for the long term um, and then so that you don't have to uh, you don't have to you know you don't have to look out constantly for new individuals. Uh, you just develop them in-house, train them up, and make sure that you, tr you, you nurture them enough that they don't want to leave and they, they want to stay with us. So we've been lucky to have very little turnover in, in iCare since we opened, uh, and that's something that we're very proud of, and, and, and our staff is, is, uh, is, uh, is, always, you know, is always happy to, to recommend us to, to potential candidates because we make a lot of effort uh, in, in the company culture to, to, to nurture the staff to ensure that... Um, you know they, they might want they might want the, they might have the opportunity to leave uh but but they don't want to as the business leader what what is one of the most important characteristics that you look to cultivate within yourself to set the right example to your to your staff patience i think patience is the most important uh in particularly uh, where uh, aggressiveness is uh, or or you know strong manners are not perceived um, so it's something that I, I try to cultivate in myself and always try to, um, to, to show towards um, the rest of my teams as we work together. Um, always, always start with patience, always um, take into account that uh, the speed of working has to be adapted to the local context and uh, patience is going to get you the best possible results because that would allow you to push when necessary and to pull back when, when, when you need to. So uh, patient, I would say that is, is, is the, it's what I've had to cultivate the most in myself and that I'm proud of to, to push that into my team uh, to make sure that our teams always have patience so that they know when to push and when to pull back. Completely agree. And it's also another, another thing that you had said about having the patience and investing into a staff member and really nurturing that process of development. It, it helps build that trust within the organization and knowing that, you know, this is for the long-term journey and, and to be part of the mission. So uh, building that trust and, you know, camaraderie between the team is, is very, um, is very important and could, yeah. couldn't agree more yeah. with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that also, you know, it, it takes a lot of work. It's difficult. It's not easy. And sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, but, you know, I think that every leader has a, an obligation to its team members uh, to, to, to use, use its patience, um, to, to drive decisions, to make sure that the teams are understanding of, of what the decision-making process looks like, in particular adapted to the Cambodian context. So we have to remember that the speed of working or the speed of, um, of getting things done in some countries is different than ours. And it's our responsibility as, as outside leaders, as foreigners, um, to develop that patience, to adapt to the local context. So, um, and I think that permeates into the decisions and into the corporate governance within the company. Uh, because if you, know, if, if you, if you drive with, with empathy and with patience and you train your team and nurture them, uh, you know, the, the other opportunities might come, might come across that, they, you know, that they, they have an opportunity to leave, but they will not. So I'll give you an example. All of my senior managers right now have been with the company since 20, at least since 2016. So, you know, all of them have been with me for over five years. Uh, and I think that's a testament to, 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 to being able to create a team, develop a team, nurture a team, 
and kind of lead with empathy and with patience so that you're always on the lookout, you know, with what, what is happening within the company, always an ear open and, and you're adapting your own, your own ways of doing things to the local context, you know, taking into account that we are the foreigners. Yes. And one of the, and it's, it's very, uh, it's very comforting to know that your team is, has been with you for that long of a period of time. And one of the things that you also just had said in terms of, you know, even though there is that training and that development aspect of it, if they do decide to move on to the next role, it almost is this building block of, if they do decide to leave, you know, if they talk to somebody who could be a potential prospect for the business, I mean, it can only be glowing and raving reviews, right? Just knowing about how much your business has invested in them, knowing that anybody exactly. else has to come in, it's that, it's that um, follow through effect, which is, which is great. Exactly. And I think that it's also the responsibility of any, of any business leader to not, not, not have any, any scorn towards, uh, towards employees that leave, you know, you know, you should train your employees so that they, you know, they are working for, towards the same goals of the company and adding value towards kind of the, the, the objectives of the company. But if there's a decision to leave, uh, it's also our responsibility to, to help them leave in, in a positive manner so that, uh, you know, they, they remember fondly their experiences with iCare because at the end of the day, in particular in a country like Cambodia, the word flies very quickly, right? So, uh, so you know, we, we, as, a, as a leader, I have to be careful and to make sure that, you know, the relationships within my staff is, is positive and they have a positive experience out, out of their work here. So that, as you said, as, as, you, as they go out into the market for other opportunities, which happens, uh, they are still able to, you know, they're still able to, to provide, you know, positive feedback on, on their experience. And, um, you know, a lot of my, some of my staff that have gone on to big jobs at Ion Specialized Bank and another one is the senior managers at, at Food Panda. Um, then, you know, they still speak fondly of eye care and, and still send me uh, referral candidates for, for some of my open positions. So, you know, I keep, I keep close relationships with my staff that have left uh, just because I think it's something that every leader has to do and not, not hold any scorn or, or regret towards any former employee. That's part of their journey as well. Um, we just have to make sure that we, uh, we, we provide them all the necessary tools to do their job well. Couldn't agree more. And especially in, in those cases as well, being a mentor and kind of continuing and growing within the industry too. Um, and uh, transitioning to more of the market challenges and opportunities within uh, Cambodia, um, is there a business sector that you feel or like, or that you feel is underdeveloped in the country at this time? And you're kind of seeing this transition to uh, more activity within that sector? Yeah, I'd say I, I, I say the logistics industry, I think needs a, needs a little bit of a, you know, I don't know if it's a democratization or, you know, or, or, need, or need to adapt to, to new technologies. I think the logistics industry in Cambodia is still very nascent, still very uh, kind of inverted brackets, old school. Uh, it requ I think it requires a big player to come in and revolutionize. I know Grab is trying, uh, but I'm talking more to the last mile delivery services. Uh, you know, they, I, I, I still, I'm still thinking that the logistics industry needs a revamp uh, to make sure that it's adapting to, to a changing environment. In particular, with the growth of the e-commerce side, it's going to get more and more common for packages to be delivered within one day to any province in Cambodia. Um, and so there is some players that do it, but I'm still, you know, not seeing that that technology. Uh, drive towards that solution. So one of the players that, one of the companies that I'm advising at the moment, Papa Deliver, is one of the companies that is trying to do that, uh, trying to kind of you know, add, add a little bit of a technology angle to the logistics industry to make sure that it's moving towards that e-commerce space, uh, that services space, uh, which is only going to be growing from, you know, from, from now, it's only going to get bigger and bigger. Right, and especially it's still in the fairly early stages of of the e-commerce stage in Cambodia, and trying to approach this combination of uh, logistics and e-commerce is going to be a, a huge uh, lock and key um, situation. So it's it's exciting to know that you know what kind of activity is going on within those sectors and um, the potential that will come from it. 
Yeah, um, I absolutely agree. I think there's there's a couple of players are looking at it. As I said, there's a best best co and Papa Deliver. I know are working on this. Um, you know, I think uh, yeah, I think the growth of the e-commerce is only going to add pressure to that logistics industry to kind of revolutionize. You know, in, you know, develop the technology infrastructure to make sure that it's serving you know the, not only the the e-commerce providers but also the the customers themselves. Uh, at the moment, there's a lot of uh, granularity in the logistics industry. Um, uh, everything is very manual. Everything has to be done over the phone. So there has to be a technology solution for this problem where um, where kind of e-commerce providers and then customers can match and, and make sure they, the, the logistics is done with, you know, paperless, cashless, et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, and I think that we're going to see some a lot of movement in that space in the next year or so. Right. And it's it all the pieces are there. And it's just a matter of them coming together. So it's it's exciting to see exactly. when that's gonna when that finally clicks together. And thinking about you know just startups in general it, inside the country, and um, what would you say would be probably the number one challenge for startups uh, within Cambodia? And I, I know you had mentioned earlier about uh, maybe regulatory framework and um, legal, but if if would you say that that would be the challenge or is there something else that comes to mind for you? I'll answer in two parts. I mean, first part, there's an easiness to doing business in Cambodia that is refreshing. So it is very easy to open a company. It's very easy to start operations. Um, so that on the, on the one hand, that easiness is a contributing factor to the success of the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Cambodia. Uh, on the other hand, and I think it goes back to, to, as you said, what I was saying earlier, the affordable legal and tax advice. So in, in, in my experience working with, with a lot of startups here, um, the affordable legal and tax advice is something that hinders in, in part the development of a lot of the startups. So sometimes the legal frameworks are not keeping up to speed with developments in the technology and entrepreneurship. And, 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 uh, and entrepreneurial sectors so and that is something that creates a lot of uncertainty in, in startups where they don't know uh, what the framework the legal framework is going to look like once it gets prepared by the relevant ministries and that creates a lot of uncertainty because it's very difficult to develop your revenue model and and and, and your operations model when you don't know what the impact on a legal from a legal perspective is going to be so I, I see a lot of startups kind of wrestling with these questions where they are concerned about what is the tax, the tax and legal implications of starting such a business here uh, because they, don't, they cannot, it's difficult to get affordable advice uh, for them to be able to then take the right decisions or at least be informed enough to move towards uh, a, certain, a certain target or a certain kind of avenue. Yeah, that's a really interesting point as well in terms of having a, a startup maybe produce or create some sort of um, product that may be almost ahead of what the framework is currently and kind of being stalled out in that situation of development because um, you may not necessarily have the ability to move forward until you have more pause in knowing that you can actually move forward with your product. Um, exactly, 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 because it's, uh, and I think it's, the problem is only going to get, uh, it's going to exacerbate more and more as the kind of the technology ecosystem and entrepreneurial industry develops, right? As, as these big tech solutions are going to come from outside into Cambodia and, and local players are going to try to replicate, um, the, the, I think the ministries and, and the regulatory uh, bodies are going to have to work faster uh, to adapt the, the, the legislation to feed these new models so that the startups are not left with two years of a black hole of, 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 of rules that they can operate in. So I think for me, that's one of the main, that's one of the main, uh, that's one of the main issues because it, uh, the, you know, I think it's only going to get, uh, the, 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 the technology ecosystem in Cambodia is only going to accelerate and you're always, you're, you're always going to get new ideas for coming from outside with a local player trying to develop it locally. So for me, that's something that we really need to keep an eye on in particular because a lot of startups are, are taking ideas from, from other companies outside, from other startups elsewhere and, and trying to develop it locally. So 
uh, that's something that that's something that's definitely going to be it's definitely something to watch over the next couple of years. What do you want to learn more about in your industry that you with within your industry or in general within the Cambodian market? Um, if there's a specific sector or something in general that you feel like would be something to continue to help you grow your understanding of the ecosystem? Yeah, great question. Um, I think the, um, the tourism sector, I think it's a really interesting sector personally. So not, not related to my industry at all. Uh, but I think it is a sector that, that, um, that I, I find very interesting and very appealing. Uh, so it's definitely a sector that I, I would love to, I'd love to get involved in, in a way or another on a personal capacity, not in a professional capacity. Um, I, I find that, um, I find that it's a sector that as well needs a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, development and, and, and a lot of, uh, of revamping, uh, in, in Cambodia after the COVID crisis. Um, so I think that it's definitely a sector that I'm interested to learn more and, and I'm working towards, towards, um, you know, talking to partners about how I can get involved into this sector, um, by, by potentially investing in a couple of ventures. So, uh, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in. Great. And so thank you so much for talking and, and giving your perspective on the market challenges and opportunities. And as we head into this, our last section of the podcast, talking about habits and advice, um, it would be great to actually ask you a fun question and to okay. kind of keep you on your toes, Pablo. Um, <laughs> we, we've asked a couple of our guests this and it's, we've had some really interesting answers, but it would be great to hear your thoughts on this. Who would you pick as the human representative to meet aliens? Oh, great question. Um, I don't know if you, if you know him, uh, but uh, Dan Price, uh, he's the CEO uh, of Gravity Payments. That, uh, it's the, 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 the online payment company out of, I think it's out of San Francisco. Um, he's a guy that I've been following for years uh, since he started his company. Um, and I find him, I find it absolutely, um, uh, absolutely breathtaking from uh, from a human perspective. Uh, he's uh, you, he's been in the press a lot because he's he's one of those um, CEOs that um, he put all his staff on seventy thousand dollars per year um, minimum salary. So anybody in his company makes at least seventy grand. His salary, you know, he makes a maximum I think of two hundred thousand instead of like a few million a year. Uh, so he's kind of the guy that I feel like not only kind of talks the talk, but also walks the walk, you know, for, for real. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we're missing that in a lot of business leaders where there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of chatter, uh, but then when you get down to the nitty gritty, not many actually, you know, produce the results uh, that, that match their words. So I feel that he would be an absolute wonderful representative to, uh, to, our, to our outside visitors to, to show that, you know, there's actually some good people in the world that are trying to make a difference and not only by just talking about it, but actually doing it and, and walking that, the talk. That's a great, great answer. And yeah, I've read a couple articles about Dan Price as well. And the, the minimum salary of 70,000 is something that's very interesting. And uh, I mean, it's, it's very forward thinking as well, which is great to see that there, you know, there are leaders that, um, like you said, do walk the walk and talk the talk. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think it's, you know, I, I, I feel like, for example, in, as an example to him, he's also someone that I feel like he's not only, you know, not only talking about the minimum salary, but, you know, the type, the way he deals with his staff, the way he deals with annual leave in the U.S., you know, where, where you know, you, you have to fight for your, your five days or 10 days of annual leave. Uh, so he's really kind of disrupting that space and, and showing, showing kind of the labor, the labor population or the labor sector in, in the U.S. that there's another, another way of treating your, your staff, another way of treating your employees so that you can work and get the same results from a much more empathic perspective rather than an aggressive perspective. So I just think that he's just a wonderful guy and, and I'd, I'd love to meet him first of all, but, but I think he'd be a great representative of, of how we do things here. Well, we'll be sure to send him this episode afterward and uh, hopefully he'll give <laughs> a listen. We'll, we'll get you guys connected. So. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thank you. Um, so moving into our last section for habits and advice. The first question I would like to ask you from here is what is your biggest failure 
And what did you learn from that experience specifically? Great question. Um, so I guess, I guess back, back in the day, um, I, I was in the, in the Spanish national ski team, Alpine ski team. And, um, you know, and, and I had a big injury outside of, uh, outside of what I was supposed to be doing. So I was training, but not really training for, for what I was supposed to be training. And I had a, a big injury. So I had to retire from, from the team. Uh, one of my goals was to become a ski pro. Uh, and, and obviously race in the, in the World Cup, uh, in the World Cup events. So that for me was a really big failure because, you know, I, I, I put my heart and soul for since I was a kid to, 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 towards that goal and not seeing it come to fruition was a, was a really big setback. Uh, but, you know, what did I take from it? That sometimes, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's not really about what happens to you, but, but about what you do with what happens. So you have to be able to land on your feet um, make the decision quickly and, and don't look back. Um, so, you know, once things happen, just wake, stand up, you know, sh- dust yourself off and move forward. There, there's no, you know, sometimes st- taking a step back makes you enjoy things more. So just, you know, just keep going forward and, and forget the decision and, and just move past it and then look for the next thing. Wow, that's, that's very impressive, especially with being, being on the team there. Do you still keep up with skiing at all? Or yeah, are you yeah, exactly. No, no, mm-hmm. uh, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. But that's what I was saying that sometimes stepping away from, from one thing and taking a little bit of a back of a, uh, you know, of a back step and kind of a, allows you to enjoy things more. So now I ski a lot, you know, I ski a lot with my friends, uh, you know, with uh, obviously more for pleasure, more big mountain skiing. So we will hike up a mountain and ski down. Uh, you know, I've been doing it ever since I retired from the team after the injury. Uh, and it, 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 it has allowed me to enjoy skiing actually more than when I was competing. So, you know, I, I realized afterwards that I was actually not enjoying it. It was just the pressure of being successful in, in, the, in the competitions that drove me towards skiing. But I wasn't actually enjoying the actual act of skiing. And by actually retiring and getting injured, I then developed a much more healthy relationship to the mountains and, and, to, and to the activity of skiing. So now I ski... I mean, again, since COVID, no, but, you know, uh, I ski, I try to ski as much as I can. Every year I go on a trip to, to Japan um, to, to, to ski with my friends in, in Hokkaido. And we've been doing that for over 10 years. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's sometimes failure allows you to take a step back and, and enjoy things a little bit more. Yeah, I watch YouTube videos of people hiking up mountains and skiing down, and all I can think about is, wow, they are absolutely crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's one one of those guys. So and, and it's funny because one of uh, so one of the guys that was with me in the team, uh, Aymar Navarro, is a really good skier, um, Spanish skier as well. He's now on the professional free ride world tour. So the the basically the it's the World Cup of skiing down basically uh, big mountains uh so he's kind of the one of the top 20 riders in the world who used to ski with me in the in the, in the ski team so um so you know it's uh it's it's i'm not the only one that had a similar experience he's also another guy that had a similar experience to me and had to step away and actually did something else with it so just yeah just sometimes failure is is a good opportunity to kind of stand up dust yourself off and look for the next thing great and the next question I'd like to ask is, what do people misunderstand about you the most? Yeah, another great question. These, these habit and advice questions are really good. Um, <laughs> we try to keep I, you on your toes. I, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I, guess, I, I guess when I'm busy or, or when I have a lot of things on my mind, um, I become a little bit less social or talkative, I guess. Uh, and, and that can get misinterpreted as, as rude. Um, so, so, you know, I, I think that when, when, when I'm busy or when I have, when I have a lot of things ruminating in my mind, uh, I, I just, I just become less talkative because I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm pensative and that sometimes get misinterpreted as rude. So I think that, that sometimes I, I get misunderstood on that front where people think that I'm being rude or, or a little bit arrogant, but it just means that I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about other stuff and it's not, it's not intentional. It's just something that I do. Um, so yeah, I guess that, that would be it. Great. And what habits do you install on in yourself to stay self-accountable or motivated within your business? 
keep keep meeting new people. I, I think that's one thing that I, I really keep, you know, I try to always push myself to, to keep myself motivated and accountable. I think that, um, you know, in, in a country like Cambodia, networking and, and being out and, and meeting new people is always a great avenue for growing businesses and developing your network. So um, it's it, the easiest thing to do is always to stay at home and watch Netflix. Uh, but the way that I allow, I push myself to, to be motivated and accountable is to be always out there meeting new people, um, you know, engaging with new players, with people that are just arriving into Cambodia to make sure that I'm always continuously developing my network um, in, 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 in the area. So uh, I'd say, yeah, I'd say always pushing towards networking and, and meeting new people. Yeah, especially with networking and having that and taking that initiative too, it can be somewhat of a daunting process for a lot of people. I know I sometimes come across um, myself and maybe sending that that email or maybe that note trying to, you know, maybe meet with someone. But, I, you know, as you practice and be more intentional with something like that, it, it becomes easier and easier. And you can really learn about how, um, you know, you can really learn so much from just talking to yeah. other people, as, as obvious as that is. But um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very refreshing feeling to go out there and continue to meet, uh, more, you know, very interesting and, uh, incredible people. Exactly. And I, I think I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I think it's also a learning curve. You know, I think that it gets easier the more you do it. Uh, and, 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 and it just takes a conscious effort from, from your part to actually get out there and actually do it, you know, organizing dinners, organizing drinks, going out for a meeting, having a coffee, and constantly meeting people that is something that you conscious, consciously need to do but it gets easier and and the easier it gets the more you do it and the more you do it the easier it gets you know it's kind of chicken and the egg and and because obviously as as you expand your network you get more you, you meet more people and those more, more people will introduce you to more people and i think that in particular in a country like cambodia everybody normally is quite accessible you know so if you have a phone number of a ceo of a big company or or uh, you know or you know or the manager of a, of a business or something if you send them a text message normally they will respond and they'll meet you for coffee so i've always found that in cambodia people are really open and accessible and that is something that i think that every business leader in cambodia needs to take advantage of you know, if you want to grow your business or you want to develop your network, normally people are going to be quite responsive to a meeting or coffee. And, 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 and that, is, that is something that is very special to, to Cambodia, I feel. Yeah, I, I, also, I also agree on that. I, I'm actually amazed at how many like um, business leaders and, you know, supposed, um, you know, experts on the market don't actually spend that much time meeting new people and they get sort of caught up in their own bubble and they think they, yeah. you know, they, they tap themselves out and it's, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one. And it's, I think, like you said, if you're meeting new people all the time, it actually keeps you uh, engaged and thinking about some of these new approaches to things. So I think it's so easy to get caught up in that, um, like uh, to get caught up in your bubble and, and get comfortable. Yeah. And as you say, sit at home and watch Netflix. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the easy thing to do, right? Uh, but, you know, I think that being out of your comfort zone a little bit and getting used to it, it actually makes it easier. I, I think that's my, you know, I think that it just makes it a little bit easier the more you do it because you have, you know, more people, you're more comfortable on kind of the, you know, the, the awkward moments around, around meeting new people. And I think it, it helps you navigate it the more you do it. So, and I completely agree with you, Max. I think that uh, we, t we tend to stay in our own little bubble and, and, and not, not always willing to expand it or, or try, try meeting new people. And I think that personally, it, I, I push myself to do it because I think it's a way to keep myself motivated and accountable um, and, 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 and engage with the, with the community here in, in Cambodia. Right. And it's taking that approach to just thinking, you know, what is the worst that can happen, right? If you do reach out to somebody, yeah. what is it? You, you won't get an answer back and that's okay. Yeah. That's right. A, and maybe that's it's okay. Gonna, exactly. Yeah. And maybe it takes exactly. a couple, couple more times to kind of push someone to be able to see, okay, well, if someone has this much intention to meet with me, then there's obviously something that has to be talked about. And so just to, and, you know, people these days, I mean, everyone's busy, right? And, you know, a message yeah. can go unseen or something. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, com you know, combining the, you know, never stop trying, but also, you know, continue to be intentional. If, if you really want to learn something or meet with someone, then, 
you know, go out there and, and do what you can to do that. And if not, then, you know, I'm sure there's somebody who is, you know, just as close to the source in terms of knowledge and um, perspective that you could probably reach out to, too. That might be a little bit easier, but um, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think also nowadays we have the, you know, through through kind of social uh, social media, we have the capacity or the reach to, to, to talk to, to, you know, to to influential business leaders, you know. Um, if you want to talk to Dan Price, as we said earlier, you can actually just send him a LinkedIn. He might see it, he might not, but you know, uh, but you can actually send him a message. So I think that, as you said, that it's just a question of getting out there. The worst case that, it, that can happen is nothing happens, you know? So um, if nothing happens, nothing happens. So no, no, no harm done. So just trying, just trying and pushing yourself to try, I think is the first step for sure. Agreed. Uh we have two more questions to ask, and uh, this one is maybe going into the library a little bit. And what would you say is the most formative book you have ever read? Oh, another great question. Uh, the, the one I keep kind of by my bedside or, or very near to, 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 to my bedside, uh, I'd say a, a, a book called Speed of Trust by uh, Stephen Covey. Um, you know, it's a book about it goes back to our discussion earlier about how to lead your team with, with patience and with trust. Um, so it's, it's kind of, he develops around the idea that uh, everything from a business leadership perspective should start from the trust uh, in your team, and then everything should flow from there. Uh, and, and that is for me, when I was kind of opening iCare and, and really my, my a big leadership position with big teams, that is something that, that really helped me out and, and, and kind of gave me the framework around how to deal again through compassion, through empathy, and through patience uh, with my teams, and that trust should always be the first thing to put forward, and that everything should flow from there. As we spoke earlier as well, I mean, just the way that you you explained it, it, it makes so much sense, especially just the connection between your approach to building the team, and uh, as well as how you describe the book. So it's it's very uh, it's very great to you know you can build from your knowledge from. Uh, one resource and apply it into you know real life, which is which is great. Um, yeah, exactly. Our final traditional closing question that we like to ask each of our guests is, "What is the most important advice you have ever been given?" Oh, another great question. I mean, it's one that I I now give to a lot of people, in particular the young startups that I'm mentoring. Uh, it's something that was given to me, and you know it. it it's basically very simple is that any job needs to either be uh, formative or well-paid or both, but it cannot be neither, right? So the importance to make sure that you're also, you know, you're either making some money or you're, 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 you're training yourself, you're, you're, under, you're under a formative experience. It can be both, but it cannot be neither. So if the job is not paying you well and you're not learning anything, uh, then it's probably time to move on. So that's something that I've always, um, I think it's a very useful advice in particular with when, when you're starting up into the business world, um, you know, make sure that you're finding something that, you know, it's okay. It's okay to not make any money as long as you're learning. It's okay. To, for me, it's okay to make money if you're not learning, if that's what you want. But if you're not getting any of those things, then you probably need to change. Uh, sometimes I feel like there's a lot of uh, romantic ideas around you know, follow your dreams and, you know, and that kind of, uh, that kind of aspect. But to me personally, this advice, when it was given to one of my mentors, it makes a lot of sense and that's okay. You know, if you, if you, if you just care about making some money and living your life, that's okay. As long as you're making some money or the opposite, you, it's okay to be formative if you're learning and, and, and you just make a little bit of money. It's okay to be both, but if you're making neither, then you probably should change. Yeah, that, that piece of advice is great and actually hits home to me personally as well because um, I, that was a bit of my first role when I came to Cambodia. It was uh, about the experience, but the pay wasn't, uh, it wasn't exactly there, but I knew that the opportunity of, um, the opportunity to be able to learn under um, a, a great uh, partner as well as just being able to learn more about the impact industry in general was uh, more valuable than, than not. So it was, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you said that and definitely relatable. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think that sometimes there's a little bit of, uh, I think, romantic ideals, you know, a lot of, so a lot, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of talk about follow your dreams and the, the money doesn't matter. And, and you know, I, and I think that is okay, but the reverse is also okay. You know, if you just want to have a simple life, making good amounts of money and you have a job that you don't really like, but you're making money and, and that's okay if that's what you want. But, you know, if you're not learning anything and you're not making any money, then you should probably change. Yeah, there's obviously nothing for you there. So um, that's just something that I try to I try to show to my to my to my kind of mentees as well, that, you know, you're either learning or making some money. But if you're making neither, you should probably change. Great. Well, Pablo, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. We really enjoyed the episode learning about um, your journey to Cambodia. Uh, I care as well as your perspectives um, within your habits and advice as well. It was a really awesome episode and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you very much, uh, Dom and uh, Max. Pleasure to, to be on and uh, all, all the best for the future.